0: We're going to start this morning and um, with a review of last week. Some of the things that stood out to me that I just cannot escape or get away from this week. And I don't want to go too far into the future as to what I think our last two weeks will be hitting on. But I do want to just have a stop for a minute and consider um, some of the things that we've been talking about. So last week... Marky talked about how Genesis is about mankind, and Exodus is about God, which I thought was—I'd never thought of that before. Genesis tells us how we came to be, our origins. It starts with life and it ends with death. It, it tells us how man went from this amazing place to this not so amazing place, and then Exodus is all about what God does for those people he loves. And so I went and looked, and Exodus begins with slavery and oppression. The first uh, chapter is about how the Israelite children have grown, and a king has come who does not know Joseph, and he has made the Israelite children slaves. And it ends with, you would think then, freedom. Open up your Bibles in Exodus and go to the very last chapter... So it will be Exodus 40. And depending on what Bible you have, a lot of the Bibles have the title. So if you started at Genesis 40, my Bible says, setting up the tabernacle. And then go to verses, uh, start at the very end there at verse 34 of Genesis, or Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all of the Israelites during all their travels. The book of Exodus begins with slavery and oppression, and ends with God's presence among men. Then Martin went on to talk about how that the law is a picture of the holiness of God. It shows us his character. And God's answer to our lack of holiness is his tabernacle. He comes and he dwells among them. And the tabernacle, she said, foreshadowed what is to come. That God would come in the person of Jesus and dwell in us, dwell with us, and that after the resurrection, he would dwell within us. And so the great message of Exodus, she said, is that by means of the cross, God has made it possible for a holy, unchangeable God to dwell with us. And I've just been sitting thinking on this all week. And I began to, I I just, this hit me in a way I've never seen before. That the opposite of slavery and bondage is not freedom. That would seem counterintuitive, right? Right? The opposite of slavery and bondage is the presence and person of God. And his presence brings freedom to be near him. His presence, by default, makes us free. And so the opposite of sin and bondage and slavery is not being free. It's having the person of God. And I think, whoa, wait a minute. So think about sin. How many of you have sin that you know in your life you you struggle with? And if you didn't raise your hand, please raise your hand because you lied. Okay? Okay? Alright? Because the more, I don't care if you're fully, like, sanctified, the more you get closer to God. We've talked about that. The more you become aware of how far you are from who He is. And so... How many of us begin to focus, I've got to stop this sin. I've got to quit sinning. And so we work on not sinning. We don't want to be enslaved to sin. Paul tells us in many of his letters, don't be enslaved to sin. The solution is not our trying to stop sinning. The solution is the person of God Almighty. And, and the power of his spirit It's more of Jesus and less of me. And so I, I was reminded of this verse in Ephesians it says Paul tells him that you know, he's praying for them what he hopes they're going to know and remember and he says I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms the power that raised Christ lives in you. If you follow Christ, if you've accepted that He is Lord, the Bible says you have the same power that literally raised Him from the dead. The power that brings death to life. Therefore, there is no sin we cannot conquer, not because of our own ability, but because we have access to life-giving, death-defeating power. And we have been talking with you guys about these attributes. We want you to get the vastness of God. And then He comes to us. And last week, uh, after Margie taught, Rita stood up and talked about how many of us have experienced the power of God in our life in some way, shape, or form. And we all stood up. And she said something that has stuck with me as well We cannot keep it in this room. And I don't know about you, but there are still things in my life that I need God to show up. And I need him to show up, and not just in a, well, I'm here, cognitive, you know I'm here. But I need him, sorry, you happen to be up front, to show up in the, I'm going to tabernacle right here among you. Right here, how are you? Good? Okay. That. Maybe it's a physical need and you need healing. Maybe it's a relationship in which you don't know what the next step is. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Just last night, God bless Facebook, I got a notification from someone and I was like, seriously? Seriously. Because this person, as far as I'm concerned, that screwed me over. Like, I'm hurt. This has been like a two-year thing, and I think, okay, i have forgiven. I move on, right? And then this comes, and I'm like, oh, clearly, clearly I haven't. And then it keeps going. But I know I probably wasn't perfect. But I know that I wasn't the only one that was perfect. My sense of justice has been stirred. There's, it's more than just unforgiveness going on. There's a sense of justice. And, and the problem with that is I'm not God. In case you didn't know, I'm not God, right? And so I'm going to play judge and jury. But then I'm like, that's not even the problem. Because I know this person through the rumor mill has said things about me that aren't true. And I want to, to defend myself. Now we're getting into my identity. We're getting into where I stand as a person, right? Allowing God to take care of things. I, I just thought I was not forgiving her. Now there's this whole other layer of stuff, right? Okay, maybe you're in that situation where you realize that maybe this sin you have over here really isn't about the sin, but you realize there's something else brewing in here that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there's anxiety. Maybe there's worry. I mean, maybe there's everything's good and, and there's a next step that you need to take or you're not sure. And you need God to show up in a tabernacle kind of way. And so we're going to do something. We're going we're gonna to actually sit for one song, And I just want you... It's a song by Jeremy Camp. The same power that lives in me. You know, that, is, that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And I want you just to meditate on that. Then I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you can. For two songs, And I'm going to ask you to sing. Now this... Um, for some of you right now, maybe like seriously. Okay, I know that we there's a tendency to check out. I know that because I have been guilty of checking out. Um, you may not everybody is is singing something wherein they experience God. This isn't the typical way we do it. There's no live music. There's no great, perfect musician singer up here leading you. And there is a temptation to look at your phone. There's a temptation to write a to-do list. There's a temptation. I mean, I've been known to check. I've been known to go, okay, Margie wants to sing. Five pages of notes. She thinks she's going to get through. I get it. But if we could try. I'm just being honest. If we could then just really try. Because we say we believe this. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there among them. Then God is here. And I believe that there are some of us who need to experience the presence of God in a very real and tabernacle kind of way. And when we get done singing, I'm going to ask you guys just to immediately around your table start to pray. The things that God asks me to do, or I feel led to do, or I I think up of my own whatever, are funny. Because they are things that if I were sitting there, I'd be like, she's
1: nuts.
0: (laughs) And that is, I'm going to ask you, number one, to pray out loud. And now, here's the thing. i put some parameters on this. If you don't want to pray, don't pray. And if somebody else judges you, just ignore them. Okay? I, of all the things that, that I... Like, do you up here? I get nervous. There's times I go home, and I think, why did I say that? I don't know if you guys remember that one time I said, and I'm cute. Like, really? You know, there are things that I ramble on about, and I critique myself. The one thing that I consistently find nervous to do is to pray out loud. I just, and it's funny. I was going to use this example, and then you went to the bathroom with me. To me, praying out loud is like sitting in a stall next to somebody with your pants down and talking to them. <laughs> And I don't like to. Do so I'm going to use this example. We go in the restroom. She's talking to me, and I can't be rude.
1: <laughs> what am I supposed
0: to say, right? Please stop talking. Okay. You know, but I, I'm sitting there, almost busted out of gut. Okay. It is intimate. It is vulnerable. And I'm going to ask you to actually pray not for someone else, but for yourself, out loud, for yourself. Because the one thing I have learned, as much as I don't like praying out loud, there is something to be said. For exposing myself. And that sounds weird after I just said the bathroom. (laughs) Um, We tend to have shame in the Christian community. Conviction is of God. Guilt is of God. Shame is never of God. And so when we begin to open up and to pray and fumble and ramble around our own words. And to share our own crap. I believe it can be life changing. I believe that that is what community is supposed to do, even though I push against it. When I have exposed myself to other people, more often than not, and I've been hurt and been burnt more times than I care to count, I still say something happens. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. You don't have to be as, you can be as specific or, or as vague as you want about where you need God's presence. Just show up, you know, and you can pray or not pray. we got to be okay with silence, that awkward silence, you know. It's okay. And we're just going to spend some time doing that, and then I'll actually teach. So here we go. I'm done telling you all the things we're going to do. We're going to actually do them. Um, so just sit and think on this first song, and then we'll stand and sing. I know these are two songs you guys have sung or heard on K-Love for sure. Thank you, Cheryl.
2: and I'm going to ask you, if you can, to
0: stand up. And um, I know I don't have the words up there, but these are songs we sung at church. They're on K-Love. And if you don't know the words, that's okay. okay. Sing where you do. No one. This isn't a competition. I'll just make a voice of noise. Doesn't mm-hmm. sing thing beautifully. Um, and just, if you don't know the words, you can just pray God.
1: There's nothing worth more uh
2: for where Lord I know in my own life you've brought me just in the last couple years there was a time where had we sung the Holy Spirit you're, there's nothing that compares I would have walked out of church because I couldn't sing it and it took me off and how you have healed in places that I wasn't so sure could be healed but God there are still places in my life There's still, it's like I'm in junior high sometimes. There's still a girl who wants to be enough. Who puts too much of her value in the hands of other people. I think, well, if I just do this, then I'll be good enough. And it leads to sin, Lord. And I need you to show up. Because at some point, I just can't do it anymore. And I ask as we move on to this topic, Lord, that you would just lead the way. And be with uh, each woman and their journey where they are at. Where they need you to show up. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Alright, thank you guys for doing that. So we're going to change
0: change a little bit here real quick to see if I can lighten you up now that I make you little somber and holy and spiritual. We're going to talk about that God is righteous and God is just. So I just want you to shout out when you hear the word righteous, what images or words come into your mind? Just shout out. What? Holy. We have hopefully have better markers thanks to Megan today. Okay, holy,
1: sinless,
0: Sinless. perfect, Perfect. right living, right living, and I heard trustworthy, Pharisees, saving, saving. Judge <coughs> Merciful Cleanse Merciful Grace. What
1: Faith Faith
0: Balance, Balance. Hope. Balance. Hope. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Jill. I love you. Because I'm sitting here thinking, I think this dent? And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I stink. We're good. We'll sit at the table by ourselves in the back.
1: <laughs>
0: Any other words that come up? Or images? I think of a throne. I, when I think of the righteous. God is right. Yeah, I think it's wrong. Give it a minute. Anybody else? There's no wrong answer here. Like. Pedestal. Pedestal. Justice. I don't know if I spelled that right, but... Justice. Justice. Freedom. Faith. Faith. Yeah,
1: I think I did. I it on here. No, Not faith. 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 Okay.
0: Love. Love. Maybe a couple more. I'm going to run out of room. Chest thumping. I love it. Chest thumping. Reminds me of the, the parable that Jesus told. Where he beat his chest, said, You know, woe is me, I'm a sinner compared to the guy that had his chest upped out. Okay? Alright, so we're going to talk, this is just to get us to kind of go from, like I said, to that somber thing to moving and our brains awake. Uh, We're going to talk about God is righteous. So we're going to start by defining it. Um, So, you know me, I went to the dictionary. You would think I read the dictionary for fun or something, but. Um, So, being right the righteous, it's an adjective, describes someone, and it means to act in accord with or conform to a divine or moral law or a standard of what is right and good. It is to be free from guilt and sin, morally right or justifiable. Or it's something that arises from an outrage, sense of justice, or morality. The origins of the English word come from Old and Middle English, which means right and wise. So right there, our word indicates that righteousness has something to do with being moral and being ethical. And then the, some of the synonyms are, well, we're talking about moral, which implies that you can form... To a set of standards, ethical suggests that there's there's you involve there's a difficulty or there's subtle questions. So it's that wisdom idea, not just do I know what is right, but how do I apply it in this situation? Virtuous implies a moral excellence in character, and noble, which implies there's this moral imminence You are freedom from anything petty, mean. Or dubious in conduct and character. So this idea of righteous goes back to kind of what we talked about the very first week when we talked about God is holy. And part of being holy with that is that he's pure. He is pure. There isn't a sin. Not, not just simply that there is no sin in him. But think about this. Like he has no, look at that word noble. There's there's no petty, mean, or dubious thing going on at all. Like, in my situation with the Facebook thing, this person wants me to do something. And now, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I'll go do that with someone else. That's just purely junior high and petty. Where'd that come from? God never. He has that. His motives are pure. Absolutely pure. And I want us to get this, that God does not possess righteousness. He is righteous. You and I may possess a form of righteousness. We may possess the righteousness that God has given us. But we, in and of ourselves, we are not righteousness. So I put several quotes. One of these is from Tozer, right there in the middle. He says, you sometimes hear it said, justice, but you could put in any attribute here, requires God to do this. We must remember that justice is not something that is outside of God, to which God must conform. Nothing ever requires God to do anything. We're going to get into philosophy here. If you have a God who is required to do something, then you have a weak God who has to bow his neck to some yoke and yield himself to pressure from the outside then justice, or you put any attribute in there, is bigger than God. It is superior to God. For only a superior power can compel obedience. So if we say love compels God, then love is bigger than God. If God is compelled by something, then he is not superior to it. God is not compelled by love. God is love, therefore he is compelled. I mean, that just flows from him. In the same manner, God doesn't possess righteousness. And he's not beholden to some standard. He is the standard. He is morality. He isn't simply moral. He is morality. He isn't ethical. He is the ethic. Okay? And that's a slight like, really? But it matters. Because it is what allows God to say whether or not we're righteous. Because he is. He is the standard that everyone gets judged against. And he acts from that. Everything he does is righteous from that because he it has to be. So let me give you an example. And this is the already put herself out here with smug. And she didn't know she was going to be my example. So there was this... And uh, you heard me talk about that, you know, Jill's been to my house three times. And... Um, Four times now, four times now. And how many times have, uh, anybody want take a gander that I've actually let her in? Once, once. I did, basically. like, this, is, I do let's go. Okay, twice, because I don't even think about it. It doesn't even occur to me. Because I'm not, that's just not me. And the other time I was like, you ain't coming in and see my house, I got a little appointment, I messed it up, like, literally. Okay, so I sent her this video clip of this comedian, and he says, he's comparing, you may have seen it, if you've been on Facebook, what it was like 20 years ago when someone showed up at your house. So if someone showed up unannounced at your house 20 years ago, you were like, Hey, who's at the door? Kids, go see. Open the door. Who's there? And you were like, Oh, come on in. Move the pillows. Throw that over there. That's okay. No. And you're sitting them down, right? And you can stay safe forever, however they they really want to stay. And Oh, let me go. I've got, I've got dessert we saved just for this in case someone stopped by. And you pull it out. Right? Okay. Today... If someone stops on your door unannounced, hey, son, did you, did, don't you accept anybody? And you hide, right? And you get mad because your kid comes down and says, like, what's, what's going on? you're like, Shh, get down! Right? And your friend texted you from the driveway. I'm in your driveway, it's safe to approach. And so I sent this to Jill and said, forget 20 years ago, this would be like going to Jill's house. Versus coming to Joseph's house. I am learning to be hospitable. Okay? But that is just not by nature who I am. If you go to Jill's house and you show up and an ounce, you are going to feel the doors wide open. Welcome. Okay? Because Jill is hospitable. Okay, now, if you ask me your opinion, and I give it to you, And you go up to Megan later and you say, I don't think Jessica was honest. I don't think she would give me her opinion. She's going to think you're crazy. Because I, that's just kind of who I am. If you ask me, if you don't want to know, don't ask. Okay, I want to be more wise. I'm learning to be more grace, more mature. Because I can say it and everything I should. But there's still, I tend to run with the... You know, you ask me, I'm going to tell you. I have a best friend. I have no idea how we've remained friends for 20 years because she's the opposite. Right? And so she learns when she's with me to be more just direct. But that isn't who she is. Okay, so you and I, we are always comparing ourselves to the standard. We're always having God's righteousness and trying to be like him. But we are not. God is just is. And you've all met people in your life where you just go... They are that. Um, Some of you may know Dwayne Brothers. Yes, Jill. That is true. She never wants her husband. That that is very true. I tell you, again, I'm not hospital. Not now. Um, So, I lost my train of thought. Thanks, Jill. Dwayne Brothers. He's just humble. When I think of him, I just think Humble. Because that's just who he is. And we all have certain talents, certain gifts, certain qualities that we exude. This is God who's just righteous. Period. He just is. There's a purity to it. Okay, but it goes beyond that. There's a precision. So the next quote that I thought was so good. The righteousness of God is evident in the way he consistently acts in accord with his own character. He always acts righteously. Every action is consistent with his character. He's always consistently godly. He's not defined by the term righteous as much as the term righteousness is defined by him. Okay? Think about this. I'm sure... Now, I just told you that Jill's very hospitable. She's good at it. But I guarantee you, if we look long and hard enough, we're going to find a person or a time that she wasn't hospitable to. Because she's not perfect. I can to be the truth, teller, But we I can give you a list of times where I knew I should have spoken the truth. And I didn't. I can even give you a list of times I outright lied. Okay? I do not consistently act righteous even when I have the righteousness of God. Even when he's making me righteous. But God never is inconsistent. Never has a moment where he ever acts any other way than he is. He's always all-powerful, and he always acts out of that. He's always loving, and he always acts out of that. He's always unchanging, and he always acts out of that. You just keep going on every attribute you got. And that's the thing about it. That is kind of righteous. When you see someone that is authentic, integrity, what you see today is what you get tomorrow. And what you get with this person is what you get with that person. That is what it means to be righteous. There's a purity and a precision to it, which then gives it power. The reason that God's righteousness changes us is because it's that purity and precision gives it a power that it can do that. So again, I give you the example of Dwayne Brothers, who used to be a pastor here, and he's humble. When I'm in his midst, I just want to be humble. There's just something... That it just exudes. And I, I want to be like it. Okay? And you've met other people. where You get around and they have quality. And you go, I just... I, I don't even think I can do it well. But I just want they have the, There's a power to that. When you live authentically, you live transformed lives. Okay? God is righteous. And it is the fact that it is pure and it is precise. that has the power to make you righteous. And again, we've talked about this. It's not that God can't be near sin. It's, oh, my goodness, I might dirty myself, and then I might not be righteous anymore. It's because it's so pure that if you're in its presence, it, has, it can't do anything but get rid of sin. By default. it just, it's, think of a laser focus. Right? It, it just can't help if sin's in a way. Something's going to happen. Because it's just that precise, it is that pure. So I want you're on tables, when you consider the consistency of God's righteousness... I want you to think about that in particular. How does that compare to ours? And in light of thinking about purity, but again, the precision. Look at, talk for a few minutes about how Jesus responded to the Pharisees and the self-righteous leaders. How does the fact that he's consistently pure and that he's the standard bring their self-righteousness, like, how does it contrast? So just take maybe five minutes around your table to discuss that. I think it's pretty amazing to think that God always acts directly from who he is. There's no inconsistency. He always acts the right way at the right time in the right situation with the right person in exactly the way it's supposed to be. I can't hit all of those. I might hit one or two of them, but I'm not hitting all of them time and time and time again. And there are times where I act out of accord with who I know I am. God never does because he's righteous. So shout out now. We say God is righteous and God is just. So just what's, what are some differences when you think of the words righteous and just? What are some of the differences? Okay, so just might not necessarily mean fair from our perspective. Let's open a big you know. We sometimes look at it, just wouldn't necessarily be fair. Okay. What else do you think? Getting what you deserve. What?
1: Getting what you deserve.
0: So when we think of just, we're thinking about you're getting what you deserve. How many of you like to see someone get what they deserve? <laughs> Don't like getting what you
1: deserve! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! How that changes.
0: But that's good, just if you think of being just as this idea of you get what's coming to you. Okay? Any other ideas that you, you think about when we talk about just? Justice. The idea of justice? Explain that further. What do you mean when you say justice? Okay, yeah, so it's this idea of we want to see justice serve. It seems to be like an action, something that is done. Okay? Any other thoughts? You are
1: justified.
0: Ooh, justified. So it's when... See, in my situation, I want to be justified. I want to be... Do you see that?
1: Okay. I want to be right.
0: Okay, so... Here's what I want you to think about. There's a quote there. When we say that God is just, we are saying that He always does what is right, what should be done, and that He does it consistently. So we've already said that. Without partiality or prejudice. Pretty much, and I want you to get get this thought going in your head. Righteousness, righteous, and just, are pretty much the same thing. And here's why. Most common uh, Old Testament word for just means straight. So again, if you think of someone being righteous, they hold to the straight and narrow. New Testament word tends to mean equal. And how could anyone who's not righteous, who knows the standard, execute what is equal, what is fair? Prophets in the Old Testament speak of justice a lot. It's very telling to me when you read the prophets and why they condemn Israel. There are some very clear, immoral, horrible acts. But one of the consistent things is that they oppress strangers living in their land, widows and orphans, unfair scales, the poor. God's very concerned with justice. The law provided justice. So we think of the law and... There's a lot of things in there. If I was right now, I think it's a little tainted and and it it doesn't work well for women. But, you compare the laws of the other cultures at that time, it was very, very, very lifting for women. Uh, Frankie and I were talking, I think it was last week or the week before. When you talk about, uh, remember the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? And she's brought before Jesus. And what does Jesus say to all those accusers? Whoever has no sins throw the first stone. Well, according to the law, the guy should have been there too. And if you accuse someone falsely, do you know what happened? You were stoned. There was a justice issue going on that Jesus was addressing from the law. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, if you read them, all speak of justice. When we studied First and Second Corinthians several years ago, one of the frustrations with Paul was their communal dinner, their, their, their communion, where there was people coming and taking advantage of the feast and then other people not getting it. It was unjust. Right? So justice runs the gamut throughout the entire Bible. The Hebrew word, which I can't say, is translated as righteous, but it's often translated as just or justice as well, because its root word means clear or pure. And as a verb, if you use that word, it means to act on someone's behalf to justify them, which is what God's righteousness does for us. The Greek word, which I can't also cannot say, also refers to justice, and you will often see it translated. So, righteous and just in the Bible, old and new, are often interchangeably used because they kind of mean the same thing. Justice embodies the idea of moral equity, equal. Iniquity, sin, is the exact opposite. It is inequity. It's the opposite of equality. Again, that sense of authentic. You're not acting to the standard consistently in all areas. And there are things that are unequal. And think about when we deal with issues of justice in our world, we're dealing with issues of inequality, which come because guess what we're not doing? We're not living according to God's standard. Injustice happens because of the way we treat other people. Especially when you begin to deal with systematic issues. Systematic poverty. Systematic racism. They get to how we're treating one another. And we're not treating one another according to God's righteousness. And again, there is no inequity in God. It just doesn't happen. Because God is righteous, he can be just. And because he is just... He shows himself to be righteous. So there's a question, because I want to get on to the next part. You think about it on home uh, at home. But have you ever seen righteousness and justice? Have you seen them as connected before or not? Have you seen them as the same? And think about that this week. But I want to get to because I just think this is this is for me, and I struggled with this lesson for a number of reasons. Um, mostly just personal in life. This, to me, at three in the morning, was profound, as I went through it again. We're going to talk about the cross as the ultimate justice. So I'm going to give you some quotes. These are all from Tozer, where you see where I'm laying my foundation and where I'm going to jump to. First of all, I love this quote. You can never exaggerate the power of the cross. And here's why. So Margie's covered this in a couple of her lessons now. That God, being perfect, is capable, is, I typed this, so you're going to have some typos here, okay? Is incapable, that should go together, of either loss or gain. He is incapable of getting larger or being smaller. He is incapable of knowing more or knowing less. God is never almost Anything. He is always exactly what he is. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but just go with me here. God is never at war with himself. He is a unified being. And I think this is where we have to get This next two statements. His sense of mercy is never at war with his sense of justice. God's justice and God's mercy do not quarrel with each other. Compassion flows from goodness, and yet goodness without justice is not goodness. You can't be good, but not just. And here's another typo. You can't be just without being good. And I, I, I don't like that idea of just reading everything, because I think you could just go home and read a book. But this is powerful to me the greatest justice done happened on the cross. And there is a part of us that knows this, because we go, okay, there was a penalty that had to be paid, sin has consequences, there's a sacrifice, blood must be shed, atonement. We understand that. We don't see, I don't think most of the time, we call it love. But it's justice. That God himself comes down and is the one that does it, is just. And that when he, we accept him as Lord, that he changes, is just. So this, this is, Tozer says it so much better than I ever will. So I'm going to read it. And follow along. He says, let me point out that when God, in his justice, sentence, sentences the sinner to die... He does not quarrel with the mercy of God. He does not quarrel with the kindness of God. He does not quarrel with his compassion or pity. They are all attributes of a unitary God, and they cannot quarrel with each other. All the attributes of God concur in man's death sentence. That's kind of harsh. All God's attributes concur. God is loving all his attributes concur in that destiny. That includes love. And go back to why? Because you cannot be just without goodness, and you cannot be good without being just. If you do not punish, you are not good. If you just—why which is why we have laws? If we just let everybody do whatever they want and we don't punish, would you consider that loving? Really? If we let the murderers and the rapists just go free, do you consider that loving? Somebody answer me. No. no. Like, are you? Sure. Okay, so, loving saying we don't like to talk about that, but there's punishment. Okay, so the very angels in heaven cry out and say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged us. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. You'll never find in heaven a group of holy beings finding fault with the way God conducts his foreign policy. God Almighty is conducting his world, and every moral creature says, True and righteous are thy judgments. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. When God sends a man to die, mercy and pity and compassion and wisdom and power concur. Everything that's intelligent in God concurs in the sentence. But oh, the mystery and the wonder of the atonement. The soul that avails itself of the atonement, that throws itself out on that atonement, the moral situation is changed. God has not changed. Get this. Jesus Christ did not change, die to change God. Jesus Christ died to change a moral situation. When God's justice confronts an unprotected sinner... That justice sentences them to die. And all of God concurs in that sentence. But when Christ, who is God, went onto the tree and died there in infinite agony, in a plethora of suffering, this great God suffered more than they suffer in hell. He suffered all that they could suffer in hell. He suffered with the agony of God for everything that God does. He does with all that He is. When God suffered for you, my friend, God suffered to change your moral situation. God was not changing; He was changing your problem. So the man who throws himself on the mercy of God has had the moral situation change. God doesn't say, "Well, we'll excuse him, so He made this decision and we'll forgive him. He's going to the prayer and so we'll pardon him. He's going to join church. We'll overlook his sin." No. When God looks at an atoned-for sinner, he doesn't see the same moral situation than when he looks at someone who is not, or who still loves his sin. When God looks at a sinner who still loves his sin and rejects the mystery of atonement, justice condemns him to die. When God looks at a sinner who's accepted the Lord's covenant, justice sentences him to life. And he is just in doing both. Sins. If God provides a way for us to be saved, He is just when we accept that. And I want you to think about this. It wasn't just God's love that compelled Him when Adam and Eve sinned to make a way. It was justice too. Because God, everything that God was, all right. So sin, evil, Satan entered the world. And we are still responsible. But God looks at it and goes, no matter how good they are, no matter how much they may want to be, they cannot get to me. What would be the just thing to do then? Say, sucks for you. No. The just thing to do is to try to fix the situation. So he acts accordingly. It isn't just love that sends him to us. It's his entire being which includes justice. Justice, the cross is the ultimate justice because it restores what you could not do on your own. And this is the crazy, crazy part of what we believe because it says that if Osama bin Laden, in his last seconds on earth, accepted the truth, of the gospel. Jesus Christ, his Lord, confessed his sins. His moral, God didn't change. Justice His moral situation changed. And therefore, if God did not let him into heaven with open arms, he would not be a just, not just not a loving God, he would not be a just God. Because his moral situation was changed. Now, I don't know if that happened, but we have to see that it isn't just God's mercy, it's actual justice that compels him to forgive. And that to me is crazy to think of God excusing someone like Osama Bin Laden, because justice would say, my justice would say, no. But if that moral situation has been changed through the acceptance of the grace of God, God cannot act any other way, because any other way would be unjust. Okay, I'm going to give you three minutes. There's no way you're going to be able to answer this question, everybody. But think about this. Get it going. Have you ever thought of uh, the cross as just, and not just that it was just because we deserved to die, but that like that idea that that it wasn't just love that compelled God, but it was a sense of justice. This is not okay. This is wrong. And I, 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 because I'm righteous, because there's a standard. I can't just leave my people and I'm going to fix it because that's the just as well as loving and merciful and compassionate and powerful thing to do. Okay, so seriously, that's a deep one. Take like three minutes. So, is that all perfectly clear? And... Good. I'm glad because there's so much, and I encourage you. Margie asked you guys last week just to open up your Bible and look at verses about power, and I would encourage you this week look at verses about God's righteousness. Just get it at Concordance, back of your Bible. Go to BibleGateway.com and just type in righteous, righteousness, just, justice, and just read the verses that come up because it is throughout the Bible. God is righteous, he's not like us in any way, shape, or form, and it's pure, and it's consistent, and it is just. I want to leave us with this idea that God, because of, of this, he's just righteous, and he just acts out of it. That is his expectation of us, and he invites us to participate in that. So we're going to do this really fast, and I encourage you this week, especially Genesis 18. So open your Bibles to go back and read the full story. It's a story that if you've come to Heartstrings or been in church, you may have heard before, I'm sure. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin has come before God. And they, he was done. Okay, justice required punishment. Okay, because you cannot just let something go unchecked forever. So he has to act. And so he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes to Abraham, and he tells Abraham. And Abraham has a nephew Lot who has gone to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so in Genesis 18, verse 16, it begins one of the one of the, in my opinion, one of the boldest conversations that a man has with God. Abraham says. If you go down, sorry, I had it here marked to verse twenty-three. Abraham approaches God, chapter eighteen, verse twenty-three says, "Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked?" So Abraham is dealing with the standard now, because God, he knows God is righteous and just. So will you punish the total for the for for every like everyone? So he says, "If, you, if there's fifty, God, there's fifty righteous." Will you spare Sodom? And God says, because he is just, yes. Abraham's smart and says, okay. What What if, what if, there's only 45? And because God is just, he says, yes. And this goes back and forth until we get down to the very end for the sake of 10. So we look at God and we say, "Pretty pretty horrible that he like wiped out two cities, right?" Okay? But he was willing to spare two entire cities for 10 righteous people. Does that seem fair? We like fairness when we are on receiving him. Oh, we love it. We but it's not it's not fair wouldn't be fair for ten people who are righteous to die because of the sins of others. But it is not fair that wicked people live because of ten people. But that justice... See, our idea of justice gets screwy because it's about me. But God is always righteous. That purity, that precision, consistent standard. Alright? And what happens here in this story is that not only is God being just... But Abraham, who has a right orientation toward God, and understanding that God is righteous, speaks to that, and has a right orientation toward someone else. And acts upon Lot's behalf. Though Lot does not deserve it, because apparently... (laughs) Lot isn't one of the ten. You would think Lot, and he's got a wife and three daughters. You'd think that his household he could have got together ten righteous people. Apparently not, because God goes on to destroy, it, but saves Lot because of Abraham. Abraham acts justly on the behalf of someone else. So then go to the, the Matthew. We all know this—the Great Commandment. Matthew, it's in a couple places, but Matthew 22 in particular. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength. And the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as so yourself. like that. So love God and love others. problem is it shouldn't say and. It should say like. That, that means resembles. The second commandment isn't an add-on. Do this and this. It's, hey, this second commandment, it resembles the first one. It's just like it. So when you love God, by default you will love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor is one way to love you. They are you. They are connected. So the righteousness of God that he imparts to us has an outcome of that we live justly toward other people. And this is why we tend to, in the church world, be about follow me here and we going to go, Jesus. Yes, people need to be fed. Yes, there's systematic racism and poverty. And we need to, but we need Jesus. So we're just going to preach Jesus because if they don't, you know, their belly may be empty, but if they don't get their belly filled, they're going to hell. And that's where we focus. I'm just being clear that that's not how you do it. Or we go over here to this camp and we say, and I tend to lean this way. Feed them and clothe them and work Right, And show them what your actions. We don't have to tell them about their sin and, and we just let's love them and let's do justice work. Right? Problem. Is, we've done them good on this earth, which we are called to do, but we've left them for eternity. That's not justice. If you know someone is going to hell or going to miss out, how is that justice? you know that God can comfort and you hold it to yourself. That's not justice. And we've talked about this before. Right You this thing? You have to hold them in your hand. Alright? Justice encompasses the whole person. Spirit, mind, body, and soul. We have to do it. You cannot turn your back on systematic poverty and racism and sexism and all these isms and all these problems in the world. You cannot. Because you cannot love your neighbor. You you, you cannot ignore that and tell me you love God. It it, it because righteousness it's God's righteousness doesn't allow it. Because he's righteous, he's just, he acts. We have to. Justice means that there is a sentence on all of us. And we've got to tell people that a just God has made a way for your moral situation to be changed. And because he's just, when you accept that, done deal. It's over. You are part of the family of God. Justice is for the total person. And if we have been given God's righteousness, and He's working on making us righteous, we will be involved in acts of justice for the Spirit and for the body at the same time. Things God has always given. Love me. Love your neighbor. If you have food in your house, and if you were hungry, would you want someone to feed you? And if you know that Jesus saves
2: my gift might be evangelism. I'm sorry. If you know, Side got
0: there. If you know that Jesus saves, and there's a sentence coming, the most unjust thing you can do is to not tell them. So we're gonna pray, and that's it. God, we thank you again for the day. And Lord, like this weather irritates me, but I also am learning. With Zoe, she asks like a thousand questions, why, why, why. That i learned that this weather, there's something about lightning in the clouds that releases oxygen and, and other things that causes a chemical reaction that causes the grass to green. And I just hope that as we leave here, Lord, that we will take comfort that you are just. And things we just don't understand, You, you have it covered. Because you are just and loving and good. And you're not, these
2: aren't war with one another. Because you're righteous. Because you're pure and precise. And it has the power to change. Go with each woman here and be with their families. Amen. Next week,
0: Margie will be teaching about the goodness of God. And the week after that, Jill's going to teach on the wisdom of God.